It is the collective of everyone who's known him and loved him in every generation since Adam and Eve, even into the future. The bride of Christ. Amen. And you are part of that. If you know him and love him, you are his bride. Every believer who's gone into glory, who will say yes to Jesus in the future, they are his bride. Hallelujah. We've got to get ready, church. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Revelation chapter 19. Are you with me? Come on, let's just read the Bible today. Revelation chapter 19, reading from verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. We just sang that just now. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Hallelujah. This is where the Bible starts to conclude. The book of Revelation. Do you know the Revelation? It means the lifting of the veil. Did you know that? The lifting of the veil. The revealing. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But not just of him. It's Jesus and his bride. The lamb and the bride. Hallelujah. That is what we're heading to. And it says, blessed are all who are invited. Blessed are all invited. Listen, everyone is invited. But not everyone receives the invitation. And not everyone is ready. Who thinks they are. Though they know the name of Jesus, they don't know him intimately. In the way that he's called us to know him. The Bible starts with this idea, this building idea of union, of complementary pairs. Yes, the Bible ends with the bride and the son coming together. But it even starts and starts to build from this idea of complementary pairs. Day and night coming together. Heaven and earth. Right? Sea and land. Animals recreating after their own kind. And then... God's masterpiece, Adam and Eve, or man and woman, coming together as the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Hallelujah. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. Man and woman being brought together is where life comes from. Is God's design. And today, if you're listening and you're single and you're thinking, oh, no, not another reminder that I'm single. This is a reminder that you're not single, ultimately, because you are part of his community and you're united to him. 
Hallelujah. That is the more important, so much more important than your marital status on the earth. So much more important, so much more significant. But it does impact the way you do marriage, and I'll talk about that as I go on. Have you wondered why the idea of traditional marriage is under attack right now? The basic understanding of sex and gender, and I mean the basic understanding, the school textbook understanding, is coming under attack. All the sex wars, men hating women, women hating men, extreme feminism. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? See, because God called his creation very good. But there's someone out there who doesn't like it. There's someone out there who's always trying to destroy it. And he's been very hard at work for a very long time doing the same thing. And if we ever go along with the lie, if we ever, out of our mouths, agree with the lie, we enter into something that's not good. Because God said it's very good. And I agree with God. Hallelujah. I met my wife at, when I were studying. I call it Bible college, but I would say theological college, it's better to say. And uh, I remember um, in the first... See, I decided that the first year of Bible college, I wouldn't date anyone. I would just focus on Jesus for the first year. Because you go and you're just all excited and you see someone. And it's a kind of artificial environment in some ways because you're living on site. You know what university's like. You're living on site and it's all exciting. And, and, um, and it's funny because you know, I met Hannah quite early on in my time there. And we realized we have a lot of similar values that other people at the college didn't share. I remember actually sharing on, you know, God has a design for marriage. And someone was shutting me down once. I'm like, we're at Bible college. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, but it was one of those things where Hannah and I, you know, we, we came together. Over, I remember I had to act quick with Hannah because I remember in the first few weeks there, I was sitting in one of the dormitories and I said to one of the guys, two of the guys who were with me, I said, who's, uh, who's caught your eye at the college? <laughs> and one of the guys unexpectedly said to me, I quite like that Hannah from Cambridge. <laughs> I went, oh, really? I went to the next guy. Who do you, who's caught your eye? You know what? Actually, yeah. She's all right, isn't she? And what about you, Sam? Oh, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> but I had to act quick. They had, the, they had this term, this really godly term at Bible college called sharking. Who are you sharking for? I thought, this is Bible college. I'm letting you into some things of... Our, our denomination here. Sharking wasn't a good term, but let me tell you, a lot of people got married at Bible College. A lot of people got married every summer. I don't know how many weddings I went to by the time I'd finished bridal college. But uh, it's important, and Jesus emphasizes the importance of marriage. You know, if, when you're getting ready for your wedding day, you get a little bit nervous. You get a little bit nervous. You know, I got very nervous on my wedding day. Do you know why? Because my brother forgot the rings. We're going to the, we're nearly at the church. I said, Ed, have you got the rings? Oh, sorry, Sam. Like, the wedding's in like 20 minutes. 
And he managed somehow to get all the way to the hotel, which was miles away, and come back just in time. I was like, well done, Ed. You know, one job. <laughs> There's a picture of me. You know what I'm like. I'm a slightly stressy person anyway. I will admit that. There's a picture of me sitting on the front like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> and it was all good in the end. Marriage is important. Mark chapter 10, Jesus looks back at the creation account and says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. If you don't like the term male and female, just talk to Jesus. (laughs) Amen. Therefore, a man, because there is such thing as a man and a woman. Did you know that? I'm not being horrible. I'm just calling a spade a spade. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate, right? What God has brought together. Marriage is God's idea. Hallelujah. It's not some cultural emerging thing that's evolutionary beneficial or whatever they say, right? God's idea. Hallelujah. The book of Hebrews says marriage should be honored by all and the, and the, and the marriage bed undefiled, right? Marriage is something that's so important, so vital to life, to society, but in God's order as well. Remember, in, in the image of God, he created them male and female. When man and woman are standing together, not, not even just in marriage, but in life in general, right? When we get on, when we're not at war with each other, right? But we're united under God. Whether that's in the church or whether that is in the home. There's blessing on that. There's glory on that. Amen. In the Im- it's the image he wants us to see. You see, he's the invisible God to us. He's the invisible God. But we're made in the image of God. And there's something about marriage that shows us the image he wants us to see about the heart of God. The way that he pursues his bride. The way that he pursues his wife. Right? The sacrificial love. And that the wife submits in love to the husband. That is within the image of God. The the image of marriage. Do you understand that? From this point on through the book of Genesis. God starts to call a people unto himself, a holy people to himself, a remnant people, you know, those that remain faithful to him when all else go away. He starts with Abraham. He says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham was pretty old and his wife was pretty old. Have you noticed in the book of Genesis that when they start to walk through the different lands, all the kings are going, she's all right. She's a hundred years old. Have you ever seen someone who's a hundred years old? And yet the king's going, she's all right. Abraham nearly lost his wife twice because kings kept taking her. Have you ever, have you ever, put, have you ever seen that before? She's 100 years old. 
But when they started walking in the promise, hello, God started to turn back the clock. She didn't look like 100 years old. There was supernatural blessing and anointing on them to enable them to do a miraculous thing, to start a family at an old age. There comes the miracle son, Isaac. Isaac. Abraham is often seen as the father God, right? You see the Trinity so clearly in the story. Abraham's like the father God. Are you with me? Isaac is like the promised son. In fact, at one point he nearly got sacrificed. Nearly got sacrificed. On a wooden, you know, platform. Very, you know, the, the images of Jesus are so clear. The father and the son, right? At one point in Genesis chapter 24, I don't know if you've read this story, but they need to find a wife for Isaac because Abraham's saying, look, I'm not going to have a Canaanite wife, right, an idol-worshipping wife for my son. I'm going to have someone who's from my kindred. So they go back. He sends a servant. You don't find out his name as far as I know. I studied it. I couldn't see his name. The unnamed servant sends him back to ancient Mesopotamia, to a, a city called Nahor. And he's saying, Lord, I hope I have success in finding a, a good wife for Isaac. And he finds Rebecca. Rebecca is, has all the qualities of a good wife for Isaac. And she's led by faith, really, to go with the servant, to go back to Abraham and Isaac and their household. And it says in Genesis chapter 24, reading from verse 64, and it says, And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. So who is the unnamed servant in this story? Who does he represent? The Holy Spirit. The Father sending the Holy Spirit into the world to get a suitable bride for his son Jesus. That is powerful, isn't it? And this is, this is what you've got to understand, is that the Holy Spirit is working tirelessly in the world to prepare a bride for the Son. And the bride and the Spirit, so the bride of Christ and the Holy Spirit, who is the servant of the Father, who's down with us. Yes, he's the Spirit who fills all things, but he is with us. Do you understand that? He lives with us. He identifies with us. And the spirit and the bride are in dialogue. And they see together. And she says, who is that? Who is that man? I don't, I don't know who he is. What does the Holy Spirit do to us in our lives? He reveals Jesus. He reveals Jesus. Who is that? I can't see who that man is. That is, that's your husband. That's my master. That's what he does. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we're led by faith from what was familiar into his presence. Hallelujah. Hopefully as you hear this, your faith is stirring. I'm going to jump through. As you go through the Old Testament, you see that God speaks often of his people being like his bride, his wife. In Isaiah chapter 62, for instance, Isaiah chapter 62 verse 5, 
It says, for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You see, God's battle in the Old Testament is not simply the wars and the, right, the conflict that's coming against Israel. It's with his own people being unfaithful to him time and time again. In fact, there's a prophet called Hosea, and God calls Hosea to marry an unfaithful woman. Yeah, a woman who's going to be unfaithful to him every day, and he still has to love her no matter what. And God said, this is how I feel about my people. I want you to feel it in there. By the way, in the prophetic ministry, you don't just give words. You have to feel what God feels and translate what he feels. And sometimes he'll make you feel it. So he's Hosea chapter 2. He saw a day of the new covenant coming. That's the, the New Testament age, the age of the spirit that Jesus would come. And it's, again, Isaiah is prophesying of that. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they all saw the new covenant age. When I'll take away your unfaithfulness, I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll put my law in your heart and you will be mine. In Hosea 2, it says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal. That was the name of a false god, demon god. For I will remove the name of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered no more. And then it says, and I will betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. That is the new covenant age. John the Baptist comes just before Jesus. As you know, Jesus and John the Baptist were relatives. They knew each other. But John the Baptist, it hadn't been revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah yet in the way that he came to understand him. And in John chapter 3, you see that John the Baptist has now fully understood in his own way that this man, Jesus, is the Lamb of God. He's, he's the Messiah. He's also God himself coming on the earth. He said, I'm coming to prepare a way for the coming of the Lord. And who comes along? Jesus comes along. And John the Baptist as the last Old Testament prophet, really, the last Old Testament, because he didn't receive the Spirit like we do in the New Covenant age. Right? The Spirit came on and the Spirit left. You know, But John was the greatest Old Testament prophet, if you get what I'm saying. Even though he just appears at the start of the New Testament. He's the end of an old age. And he knows these prophecies about God betrothing his people. And so John the Baptist is preparing the people, baptizing them, saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's getting the people ready for the coming of the Lord. He wasn't the Messiah. He was the person handing over. Are you with me? And then John chapter 3, verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's what he calls himself, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. You know, when you're at a wedding and you see how excited they are at the front, 
you actually feel that same joy. You actually feel the joy that they're having. Do you understand that? And that's what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying the joy is complete now because I've done my part in preparing a bride. Amen. Like I said earlier with my brother who forgot the wedding rings, um, he only had one job. Right? You know that saying, you had one job. My poor brother's is going to have me for this. but uh, It's the thing when it's online. Everyone hears it later on. But here's the point I want to make. We have a sense of responsibility to do what God has called us to prepare the bride. Okay. So it says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Paul again understands that he has a part to play in preparing the bride. And it says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So Paul is saying, you, your calling church is to be the pure virgin of Christ. That is my one goal for you, right? Do you know on the wedding day, there's lots of preparation, but there's a lot of preparation leading up to the day as well. When we do Bible study, when we do corporate worship, when we meet for coffee, we're preparing the bride. Hallelujah. If you think you've, you've reached full maturity, don't come to those things, right? If you're just perfect right now and you're fully prepared for Jesus to come, don't come to Bible study and stuff. But if you're still needing to prepare for the day, hello, there's work to be done. Not just on yourself but on the people around you as well. The greater you love and the greater you have a revelation of this, just like John did, just like Paul did, you will increase in your authority, right? And your responsibility. Do you understand that? When I was looking to merge the churches, I, uh, it, it came to my mind because we were going to be buildingless again, which was incredibly annoying, but it was God's plan. And I said, I don't, I was thinking, I don't want us to just go rent a school again. I don't want us to just, you know, do coffee, you know, cafe church or something like that. I was like, well, Lord, what do you want, what do you want us to do? And I had, I had this dream of two brides coming together, an older bride and a younger bride, right? One church, Norwich Elam church, yeah? But as we heard earlier, there's not just one there's not just two brides. There's only one bride. How many churches? Here's a question for you. How many churches, someone want to answer, are there in Norwich? How many churches are there? Someone said 200. Going once, going twice. There's one church. Tricked you. They always say there's one church for every day of the week or something like that, right? Listen, as far as God is concerned, when he looks down at the earth, he sees one bride. Hello. There's some people in churches that aren't his bride at all. And it might be you. Don't say amen. <laughs> if it is, if, you see, this is the thing. It says in the Bible, like, let us examine ourselves to see if really we're in the faith, right? Many people, you know, oh, yeah, yeah I'm Christian. Yeah, 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 I believe in God. Yeah, but do you know him? Do you know him? I know I'm married to Hannah, right? I know I got married to her, right? 
Do you feel the same way about Jesus? Do you know? And if you don't know, you need to do something. You need to call on his name, repent, believe in him, and you'll see how real he is. I said earlier that God's marriage with his lamb, right, sorry, with the bride, the marriage of the lamb and the bride is the second coming, right? It comes after the second coming. That's what, when Jesus comes again, his people will be with him forever. Do you know that? But Jesus has spoken just before we went to the cross in Matthew 25, how the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins. Five are ready, five are not. Five are wise, five are not. And people think, oh, is that to do with how many works you do and you cross a certain line? And then you're good enough? No, is there a people that know about Jesus, right? Who call themselves Christians and believers. But the Lord knows who are his, right? Some are ready, some are not. Some are filled with the spirit in terms of regenerated, born again, saved. And then those who are not, right? And then a cry goes out at midnight saying, come and meet the bridegroom. Come and meet the bridegroom. I believe there will be a a rapture of the church. I know not all of you have that theology. I go between two theologies. I go pre-tribulation rapture. And then sometimes I read on the scripture. I'm like, oh, it's all going to happen at the same time in terms of when Jesus comes again. And then I'm like, no, because I don't think we're here in the seven-year tribulation. Right, I won't take a vote on it, but let's... <laughs> <laughs> We'd have all kinds of views. I'm mid-tribulation. Some of you have no idea what's going on right now. But Jesus said, I want to read something to you. Jesus said, John 14, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you? Read that a few times, Jeff, haven't you? (laughs) That I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will also come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And then in 1 Thessalonians, thank you, team at the back, chapter 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first, rise first, that's a resurrection. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. Come on. You want to get on that train? The Holy Spirit is the only train going. So you better have him in here. Praise God. Then we are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. However it's going to work, there will be a rapture of the church. Catching away is, the, is what it says there. Rapturezo, right? Yeah, hatzo. I could never say that Greek word. But it's the word rapture, catching away. Jesus is going to come and take us to himself. Who's he coming back for? Pure and spotless bride. Ephesians 5 talks about how just as we, Jesus loves the church, husbands should love their wives. You know the scripture? Why? What kind of church is he coming back for? 
Is he coming back for a community church? We need community. Is he coming back for a leadership church? Is he coming back for a trendy church? I tell you the church that he's coming back for. One that he's cleansed with the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Some translations say a glorious church without, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And it says this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What he wants in us is a pure and spotless bride. How much does he love us? He gave everything for us. Hallelujah. He gave everything on a cross. No one loves us like him. But the question is, do we love and fear him in return? Do we reciprocate as the wife to reciprocate the love that's been shown to us? When Eve was made, how was Eve made? From the what? From the side, from the rib of Adam. When Jesus died on the cross, his side was pierced with a spear and he was laid in the dust. And he resurrected on the third day, victorious over death. And coming to his tomb were his people to meet him. When Eve was made, Adam had put in a, been put in a deep slumber. A rib was taken from his side. And when he awoke, the resurrection, right? He met his bride. Powerful. All throughout the Bible. You cannot miss this. There is a place prepared for us. He will come again. He said it. Whether you die in this life or whether you're here on the earth when he comes again. And there will be believers on the earth when he comes again. Might not be you, but there'll be some believers on the earth when he comes again. He is a lover. He is a lover. No one loves like him. He's not, he's not your trendy friend. He's not some gimmick. He's not, he's not some worthless thing. He's the God who made everything. And he's the God who gave everything. We must fear him. The Bible says the only thing that produces holiness is the fear of the Lord. I'm not talking about being afraid of God. I'm talking about the awe and wonder. I had a vision last year. I was literally like I was going up to heaven itself. It was so powerful. And I saw this woman in awe. of the. I've never been in a vision like it. And the, the awe and the power of God was like. Whew, and she was in awe. And like just the, the power, the wonder. And the love that she had for him. And, and God was saying that's the bride. I want a bride who's full of the awe. And the wonder of who I am. Heaven celebrates this. Heaven celebrates this. I'm coming to a land. I want to read Revelation 21. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a what? A bride, adorned for her husband. Then came one of the seven angels. You had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, 
the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most red jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Come on. That is how he sees us. Amen. And that is what he's preparing us to be. If you've been through some preparations recently, if you've been through some pruning, if you've been through some stuff, I want to tell you, God is knocking off the rough edges. He's knocking off the wrinkles, right? He's knocking off the things that have made you hard, made you dirty. Have you ever seen a dirty bride on a wedding day? I haven't. The secret sins, the secret shames, whatever it is, he is cleaning the house. Hallelujah. And it's for our good. You say, we're talking about the fear of God. Do you know what? If, you come, if he comes and you're not ready, you will feel so bad and so terrible. Beyond, you would have missed such a reward and such an opportunity that you could have easily had. But it says in the Bible that those who loved his appearance will receive a crown. Hallelujah. You look up and you saw him. Oh, that's my Jesus. Returning for me. Oh, Jesus, that's Jesus. Catching me up to be with him. Come on. You've gone quiet on me. This is big. Listen, we might not be here next week. This might be the last message I ever give. Yeah. Do you understand? He's at the door. People, it says in the Bible, there'll be people saying, where's the sign of his coming? Read it in First Peter. It's an, as a church, unbelieving the, si- the second signs of the second coming. Where is the sign of his coming? It's always been like this. Read it, in, read it in Peter's letters. Listen, we've never been in a time like this. Wars. Like all the things that are happening. We're on the verge. We're on the end. They could be technology coming right around the corner, right? Where they put microchips in your hand, just like it seems to be talking about in the Bible. Do you understand? We're that close. We're that close. And the church is asleep, largely. The church is marrying the same sex. The church is doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It's asleep. It's asleep. He doesn't want us coming back asleep. He wants us awake. Do you understand? He wants you awake. What are you messing around with that pornography for? What are you messing around with those things that he said stop? You've not got long left. He's coming for a holy church. But listen, he doesn't want you simply to receive the invitation. He wants you to give the invitation out into the highways and the byways. Because there are many who will receive Jesus if you only told them. Oh, yeah, they're not listening to me anymore, Sam. Listen, there's hundreds of people that will listen to you. Oh, Jesus. All we have in this life is the help of the Holy Spirit. I say all because that's all we need. Hallelujah. Like I said earlier, the Spirit has been given to the bride to assist the bride for everything she's called to. And this is how the Bible ends final prayers of the bible the spirit and the bride say come and let the one who hears say come 
And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come on, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's just pray. Let's make that our prayer right now. Come, Lord Jesus. You testified to these things. You are true and you are faithful. And you are coming soon and your reward is with you. Oh God, let us be ready for you. Like a bride waiting for her groom. We'll be a church ready for you. Lord, I pray. Lord, for everyone who's stuck in sin and failure and shame. Lord, I pray right now, cleanse us with the washing of your word, as you've said in Ephesians 5. Cleanse us with the washing of your word. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare your bride. Prepare us, Lord, to be fully available for you, Jesus. Fully submitted to you. Oh, God, let us be a pure and holy church in these last times. Let us be awake. Let us be alive in you. If today you've heard this message and you know you're not right with God, or even if you've never even invited him into your heart right now, I just encourage you, just even in your seats, just to cry out to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Prepare me, Lord. You have loved me so much, and yet I've failed you. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse me, Lord. Prepare me, Lord. Only you can wash me. Only you can prepare me. Spirit, you come to help and reveal Jesus to me. You've come to reveal Jesus to me. Reveal him in greater measure to me in this hour. Jesus. Jesus.